0: A long time ago on a spinner rack far far away the comic book time machine presents marvel's cosmic comics exploring marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the star wars period <laughs> Episode 7, 2001, A Space Odyssey, number 8, July 1977. Hello, it's Ben, Ben Avery. And welcome to another episode of Comic Book Time Machine. And in this episode, we're we're going to be taking a look back in time at the origin of a superhero. In the pages of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Because nothing says sequel to 2001 like a robot superhero, right? So when we last left the year 2001 or so, because... Some of the issues actually don't even take place in 2001, but that's another story. The monolith and the space baby revealed their purpose, and that's great. That issue finally revealed to us what Jack Kirby was thinking. Or did it? Because we now have an eighth issue of Jack Kirby 2001 fan fiction. (laughs) okay i call it fan fiction i am not insulting fan fiction by calling it this is just jack kirby doing what fan fan fiction is giving his interpretation of a property that he really enjoyed the difference is he actually got to work with the license and hold the license with marvel so anyway in a in a circular chariot of the gods sort of of move the monolith creates the space baby The space baby observes life, and then plants life for the monolith to come and create space babies from. It's a graphic novel. So far, we have three parts to Jack Kirby's 2001 fan fiction. Part one is the movie adaptation. I really recommend that. I've already talked about why, but I recommend the movie adaptation. If you can get your hands on it, it is, like I said, a treasure in my collection. Part two, the Kirby sequel to 2001 that is issues one through seven i recommend issues one through seven as a unit of story it's jack kirby's interpretation of what the monolith means and what the space baby means and reading all of them all together yes i do agree that when they said that you have to read it all together they are right Those seven issues work well together in a crazy, offbeat, wild, funky, 1970s science fiction Jack Kirby sort of way. Part three of the 2001 fan fiction starts here. Now, I want to make a note. So far in all of these stories, we have not seen Hal and we have not seen Dave They have not returned in Jack Kirby's material. Jack Kirby has only been bringing in the monolith, and he's only bringing in the monolith to create space babies. And that's what the monolith did to Dave. So that's why we aren't seeing Dave anymore. Hal, the computer, he was shut down. He was left, you know, circling Jupiter or whatever. We haven't seen Hal. So in this issue, well, in this issue, there's still no Hal. But there should be. Oh my goodness. This talk about missed opportunity. This issue, in a nutshell, this issue introduces two characters. Now, we learn from the title page that it's based on concepts of the MGM movie by Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Edited, written, drawn by Jack Kirby. Lettered and inked by Michael Royer. Colored by Petra G. Overseer Archie Goodwin. Character number one, we are told. This is the monolith with a new destiny to mold. Character number two, this is what we're told. Again, quoting, is he a push-button man or a machine in search of a soul? Superheroes would pity him. Supervillains would scoff at him. Yet, he is a match for any of them. This is an odyssey to freedom. A journey for a name, for one who is only a number. And the title? The Capture of X-51! What? (laughs) superheroes okay we did have some superhero stuff going on and what was the issue uh, issue six i think issue five six there was some superhero stuff going on but oh my goodness <laughs> this is okay so we're on to a, a whole nother style of thing so we end up with robots with existential crises x-35 is actually the robot we're seeing on the splash page, even though it's talking about X-51. He says, I'm not a thing, but, but what am I? What am I? He struggles and he fights. Why was I built? Why? (laughs) Those are questions we all want to know, buddy. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe we're going to be getting a, um, an exploration of these kind of big idea questions that science and philosophy and religion Try to answer. No, no, no. We're getting destruct codes. We're getting robots blowing up. 50, by the way, 50 robots blowing up. But not X51, who is the 51st robot. You see, he is with Dr. Abel Stack. Yes, his name was Abel Stack. He is the robot son of Dr. Abel Stack. His name is Aaron. And Dr. Stack gave him a human face, raised him as a human and actually i'm kind of reminded of um rise of the planet of the apes just because i've Planet of the apes on my mind here but uh we've seen this story before okay this is not very original <laughs> um the uh destruct codes blowing up the robots you know they're all all these robots are having trouble and so because of these existential crises they decide to destroy all of them x-51 is the last one abel removes the bomb tells his robot son get dressed and then dresses him up as a robot superhero and sends him on his way the bomb blows Abel away while Aaron flies into the world and he's causing p- panic all over the place and uh, cartoonish and accidental chaos and until the army catches him they take Away his face. They take away his power. They take away his humanity. We get to look at him as a robot stripped away of all the human stuff that his father gave him. The way he's strapped down to a table, I'm reminded of a cross. (laughs) It's almost like he's being crucified. We see the number X51 on his forehead. We hear a bunch of robot epithets thrown at him, like junk bucket and steel sting and steel skin, rather. And that thing. And he starts having his existential crisis. So interesting. These, this story, it flirts with meaning. It flirts with big ideas. He's laying there. He's tied down. He can't get up. He doesn't have his great strength. He should be you know, flying around, exploring the world. But So here's what he says. Here's his monologue. He says, he called me a machine, a, a junk bucket. But, but that's impossible, I think. I feel I I hurt inside. Oh, Lord, how I hurt inside. There's cries of why he says that we're all brothers. And so he's so so far we have this this robot. I mean, he's actually kind of almost praying. Um, you could say that he says, oh, Lord, you know, taking the Lord's name sort of thing. But you could also look at it as, you know, this is a robot crying out. Oh, Lord, I heard inside. But then he actually does kind of pray. He yells out, Dad, why do they hate me? Why do they fear me? And then there's no answer. You know, his cries ring out and, and suddenly we're just, he's alone in the universe. This very, it flirts with such great big ideas. And, and Kirby, is, he's close to it. He's almost there. The final page is just confounding to me. Uh, again, I'm, I'm quoting the cry rings ominously once again through the conflict complex. But this time a bright alien glow fills the cell in place of an answer. There is a gentle sound like a song from the stars and it calms the emotions of X-51. So I said confounding. I'm using that word on purpose. Confounding point. Number one, the monolith, the monolith gives X-51 strength to Pull away from his restraints and walk toward the monolith. Confounding point number two artificial intelligence. This should be a riff on Hal. Jack Kirby could have gone back to the source, mentioned Hal, played with Hal, but instead, in the final panel, we get it's X51 and it's maybe he just did this because he wanted to create a new character. I don't know. But what could have been? We get the the final panel gives us uh the, the promise next. Get in on the ground floor and witness the birth of a superhero. Sigh. What could have been? Now, we still have next issue. There's still some possibilities for really getting into this. But this is this is part three of 2001 A Space Odyssey, a robot superhero created by the monolith and artificial intelligence springing up and not related at all to Hal. Remember, the monolith, my observation of the monolith is that the monolith comes to observe these changes in history, these these epochs these new eras that come from tool usage and that kind of thing it's possible also that the monolith helps push along you know because that that one um was a moon watcher in in the movie and in the book and in the comic book when he touches the monolith that's when he gets the idea to use tools or to, to do things more than and differently than what they're doing but how how was a change how was an artificial intelligence that actually got sentience and the monolith you could have tied in the monolith to this brand new life form of hal and jack kirby could have taken us back there he didn't maybe next issue i'm going to say probably not i haven't read ahead i'm i'm not going to read ahead this month july 1977 i've read my four issues Two thousand one, Space Odyssey number eight, Star Wars number one, John Carter Warlord of Mars number two, Logan's Run number seven. I have not read ahead in any of those four series. I have not looked ahead in my um, setup, the, the setup bags that I have. But I really doubt. Maybe no. I I want, <laughs> I want to read ahead though. I do want to read ahead to find out. But I am not going to. So anyway, in this issue, we get some I guess decent pop superhero pulp sci-fi stuff that skirts ideas and actually probably maybe I should give more benefit of doubt to Jack Kirby in sci-fi comics from this period and before big ideas I've seen big ideas get flirted with but honestly usually it's pulp fiction that we're getting it's pulp space fantasy rather than big idea sci-fi and so Yes, the fact that this is surface stuff and very little subtlety, I'm okay with that. I just am confounded because this is 2001. (laughs) But that brings us to a, a, a close with our discussion here of 2001. And with our next episode, we'll be taking a look back at the world of Mars with John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Next episode, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, Issue 2, July 1977.